All right, well, let's pass out the scriptures and get into something serious. We're going to be in John 11. If you have your Bibles, open up to John 11. If you don't, raise your hand. They'll give you a Bible, and you can use this one. You're welcome to keep it if you don't have your own Bible. I'm going to put the passage into perspective for us. Um, Now, somebody asked me, I think it was last week, said, uh, it doesn't seem like we're going chapter by chapter uh, through the book of John on Sunday mornings. The Calvary Chapel model has never been to Sunday mornings go chapter by chapter. Uh, Pastor Chuck used to go through on Sunday mornings what he would call exegetically topical, meaning that he's going through the, the gospel or the book, but he is camping on passages on Sunday morning that are entry level for folks who don't have a working knowledge of the scriptures, and he'll focus on those. And then on Sunday nights, he would go verse by verse in depth through the the text itself. And so, uh, and then Wednesdays, he would go verse by verse through another book of the Bible. Well, currently on Wednesday nights, we're going verse by verse chapter by chapter, book by book, starting, we're going through the book of Acts on Wednesday nights. But on Sunday nights, I don't go through the entirety of the book of John. I've turned Sunday nights over to Pastor Zach and Pastor Mark, and they're doing a kind of a different series, and I wanted to give them an opportunity to do it. So what I'm doing to kind of compensate is I'll do a flyover of some of the things that maybe I'm not covering so that you can see the context of why we are where we are in the scripture. And uh, so we've gone through um, uh, the study of the book of John. It brings us today to a, a passage that for me is very touching. It's, it's John chapter 11. And at this point, what's happened is Jesus is, um, his favor is increasing. He's, he's healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, uh, the blind man. I mean, we've watched all kinds of things happening. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are livid. They're upset. Uh, he's violated the Sabbath on two occasions to do healing. And now they're out to get him. And they've got a, they tried to stone him, uh, and he got away, uh, just passed right through them. Um, he is, he's wreaking havoc throughout uh, Jerusalem. And they're, they're fearful, fearful of him. So they've, they've put a hit out on him. Uh, they've got a bounty to get him killed. And... Uh, here we find Jesus retreating, in a sense, getting away. You're not retreating. He's not afraid of anything, but he's in Bethany. Um, or I should say that while he's not in Jerusalem, um, this occurs where Lazarus, who is a dear friend of his, and, and he's the brother of Mary and Martha. So it's two sisters and a brother. They live together. Uh, we don't know a lot about their family. We know that it was probably dysfunctional. There's probably some issues. The sisters are completely different than one another. The brother's probably a peacemaker between the two of them. Uh, And Lazarus is dying. And the two sisters come to Jesus. And this is where we find ourselves in in John chapter 11. Now, before we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, I want to add one more thing. And and that is that today's message is is a difficult one. We're going to get to the last two verses of what we're covering. And you're going to see that... that, um, Saints are going to be in sorrow. Their their hearts are going to be broken, and Jesus is going to be glad about it. I don't know about you, but that's a tough one to process. But God will show us, and he'll see us through it. Don't despair. Be patient. God's word is good. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. Now let me stop for a minute. 
give you the, the terms. Lazarus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Eliezer. Everyone say Eliezer. Eliezer. That means um, uh, God is my help. Everyone say God is my help. So Lazarus means God is my help. It's a, the Greek version of Eliezer, the Hebrew word, God is my help. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister, Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And because he loved them so much, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Eh, let him die. That's how much I love him. Let him die. Anybody struggling with that? Yeah, Yeah, I'm good. I I was too. So he said... uh, He stayed two more days where where he was, verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now, the disciples don't want to go to Judea because they got a hit on Jesus and they tried to kill him last time he was there and they're going to kill the disciples too. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews have stopped to sown you and you want to go there again. What are you thinking? Jesus answered, uh, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of of this. And and then he says... um, of this world, but if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that, he said to, to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. So, what he says to him, he says, Look, I don't need to be afraid. Uh, if the Father's told me to do this, uh, I'm immortal basically until the Father's done with me. Uh, he, he was obedient. He says, we, we walk in the daylight. If God, the Father's called us, that's where we're going. And then he says to the disciples, He says, Our friend Lazarus sleeps. And he's using a play on words. He says, But I go that I might wake him up. Well, his disciples, uh, verse 12, they're, they're confused by it. Uh, he says, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get well. Let, we don't need to go there. I don't want to get killed. Just let him rest. His body will cure him itself. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about uh, taking rest and sleep. And so Jesus said to them plainly, look, Lazarus is dead. Okay? We've waited two days. He's dead. And he, he's getting worse. He stinketh. And I'm glad for your sakes. Listen, I'm glad for your sakes. Your heart's breaking. Mary and Martha are, are, are crushed. But I want you to know I am glad for your sakes that I was not there when he died, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So Jesus is glad and his saints are sorrowing. We have to see what God has to say to us. So let's ask him, Lord, lead us into all truth as your word declares. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you bring comfort. Lord, we know in a fallen world... All of us can relate to a Lazarus or a Martha or a Mary, a broken home, hurt, death, pain, sickness. We've got issues, Lord. And we cry out to you, and we love you, and, and you don't come. And the person we love dies, and we wonder where you are. And all along, you're doing this because you love us, and you're glad. Lord, help us to understand this. I pray that you'd minister deeply and touch lives. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. In this passage of Scripture, you have um, Lazarus 
And, and as you, you, you follow the scripture, and we can see this in other gospel accounts, um, in Luke chapter 10, uh, Matthew 26, Mark 14, uh, Jesus was a frequent guest in Mary and Martha's home in Bethany and, and in Lazarus's home. So it was a brother and two sisters. They lived together. The mom and dad, we don't ever hear of them. We don't see them. Um, and, and we know of Martha, uh, excuse me, we know of Mary, that she was the woman, as John points out, that had broken this alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard, this, this perfume fl- um, flask, and broke it and poured this treasure um, over Jesus and into his beard and then over his feet and then took her hair, which is the glory of a woman, and begins to clean Jesus's feet with her hair and her tears, mixing with the perfume and the water of her tears with her hair muddied, cleans Jesus's feet. Um, it was, it was uh, uh, Judas who said, you know, this money is a waste and he says, leave her alone. What she's done for me will echo through history. And now we know that this is who the woman was. And one of the things we know because of the text itself and also what she was doing is that this very costly oil of spikenard, this, this alabaster um, flask, when the seal was broken, uh, it's like a, a, a bottle of fine red wine. The, the minute that the cork comes out, it begins to deteriorate and it will turn into vinegar if you don't consume it. And the older it is and, and the more it's been contained, the more precious it is, it, it is. And this is what this was. It had olive oil with, with um, oil of spikenard. It had all the ingredients inside. And the longer it sat sealed in this container, the more that the fragrance permeated the oil and the more it became valuable. And it's hard to imagine, but for us, this this was worth probably about, in today's dollars, about $30,000. And the reason why is because they didn't have a Secret and Sure and all the other deodorants, and everyone didn't take a bath, and everyone didn't take a shower. And, and if you were a prostitute, the way you'd ply your trade and to attract a man into your lair was to use this perfume. And the perfume was the, the ply of the trade of a prostitute. And so what we know about Mary is uh, this, this woman was a prostitute. And she gives up her life as a prostitute, takes the most valuable thing she possesses of that trade and destroys it, but anoints Jesus as a head. We also know later that, that there maybe have been two women who had anointed him. It could have been the same one in two different locations of the gospel themselves. But the woman who anointed him for burial was the, her oil, uh, this, this very costly oil of spikenard that she poured over him that Judas was livid about, speaking of the waste of money, and all he could think about was the money, and Jesus was saying, what she's doing to me, she's doing as unto my burial, and this will always be remembered. It was fascinating because it goes on to say in Corinthians that Christ, uh, Jesus is the fragrance, the aroma of death to those who are perishing, and the aroma of life to those who would trust in him. And he says he diffuses that fragrance, the fragrance of Christ. And you can imagine this perfume that was poured over Jesus' head as they're whipping him and they're beating him. His, his garments are covered in this oil. And as they're gambling for the garments, it smells like this perfume. Uh, and it's, it's, it's permeating their nostrils. And as we know, the olfactory senses are the sense for recollection, memory. And so this entire picture of the crucifixion, this entire picture to them is, is vile and death-ridden. And, and uh, it's ingrained in their memory. But for those who would witness the resurrection, this would be a fragrance that forever would speak of of Mary's sacrifice. It would be their new life, that they have a new life in Christ because Jesus rose from the grave. He beat sin and death, and it, it speaks of the 
law of sin and death is overcome by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And this is the fragrance of Christ diffused and that we are that fragrance. We're that blessing. We're the ones who call folks to an understanding that there's something beyond the misery of our pathetic lives. And there's an accountability to a creator that wants to set us free from the sins we've committed. But the problem is, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And we're all under the death sentence. Wages of sin is death. Sin brings death into the world. Sickness, misery. And here we see Lazarus dying. In a fallen world, we're all plagued by sickness. Every one of us has suffered some sort of disease or sickness. And we're going to die of the last thing we had. And we all have that in common and we're bound by time and, and every one of us is aware of, of, of the, the ticking clock. We may try to whistle as we go by the graveyard, but it's coming. And we may think that we're going to step onto the Starship Enterprise and step into oblivion. But the Bible says it's appointed once for man to die and then we stand before our creator and give an accounting of our life. It doesn't matter what we make up or what we try to come up with. As Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher said, we're all created with a God-shaped void. We all know that there's a creator. We can try to redefine the universe and, and say it just happened and that we're, we're going to step into nothingness. But we, we know, deep down inside, uh, we know. We know there's good, we know there's evil, we know there's right, we know there's wrong. Uh, the, the, the more we stray away from absolutes and we try to make our own morality, the more the world implodes. The more we take God away, the more death comes. And so we see this. And in the midst of this, we come to John chapter 11. And from the story of Lazarus, a dying man, from this, Jesus is going to reveal and, and sear into the conscience and sear into the minds of his disciples the idea of a resurrection. The idea of a resurrection. And he's going to say, I am the resurrection and the life. Because the one thing that separates Christianity from every religion in the world is that the tomb is empty. Jesus Christ beat death. He overcame the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So as Christians, we don't die. We rise. And this is the beauty of what we see. And so Jesus needs them to understand this. Because the idea of anything good coming from death just doesn't resonate. The idea of anything good coming from misery. The idea of anything good coming from pain. But it all began back in Genesis. And in Genesis, we come to a place where God took Abraham, and at the time his name was Abram, but he took Abraham and he says, listen, of all the people in the world, I'm picking you. And in Genesis 12, he says, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land I'm going to show you. And this is what he says to him. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great and you, ready? and you shall be a blessing. I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. You go, okay. And he says, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now what is interesting is after he says he's going to bless him, he sends him into, into Canaan, and there's a drought in the land. He's like, some blessing. And then it goes on, the same Abraham who God said, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. We come to find out how that works. God's an amazing God because with his people, he blesses them. And this is a fallen people. Abraham's no different than you and me. He has a sin nature just like we do. But God blessed him. It says in 1 John for, uh, that, that, that 
that not that we love God, but that he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He blessed us. He gave us a savior when we were drowning. He gave us the free gift of sacrifice that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He's given us the hope of life and life more abundant in a fallen and dying world. He's given us this opportunity to have blessing in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our trials. He says, I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. I want to bless you. And not only do I want to bless you, I want to make you a blessing. That's the beauty of Christianity. God is blessing you and he's going to make you a blessing. And here's how he does it. You ready? Here's how he does it. Here's how he blesses you. And here's how he blesses others through you. It's called adversity and suffering and pain. Amen. I mean... Look at this. A certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. You know why they called it the town of Mary? Because you want a good time, go find Mary in that town. And you know the story of Mary and Martha. Martha was greeting everybody and sitting at Jesus' feet because her whole life had been transformed from her dysfunctional family and whatever caused her to go into prostitution and the misery of that and and that we don't know where the parents are and we know the siblings are trying to stay and keep it together and they're just trying to figure out none of them are married and they're all single and you know there's dysfunction. You know there's struggle. And, and, and Martha, the only way to cope with it is this woman is so busy, she doesn't want to think about the past. She's always cooking and she's always preparing and she just doesn't want to talk about anything. Don't go there. The house is clean and it's immaculate and we and all the, the white shirts are here and the blue shirts are there. And... And the only time she gets irritated is when people don't help her. And she's busy, 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 busy. And, and they all are dealing with the pain in their life in one, some way, shape, or form. But they've all come to Christ. And they're all disciples of the Lord. And in the midst of this, the Lord points out Mary was the one who had anointed the fragrant oil and wiped in the, the feet of Jesus with her hair. And brother Lazarus was sick. And, and therefore, these sisters knew Jesus personally. And it wasn't that they loved him. I mean, Mary had given everything she had. She laid her life down, and, and, and Martha had come to realize that it's better to sit at the feet of Jesus and to be so busy about life that you forget the things that are important. Lazarus, is he, he's going to be sought after to be killed just like, like Jesus was, and, and he's, he's being picked. So obviously this, these folks are special, and they love the Lord. But it's not about them loving the Lord. It's not about them loving the Lord What's fascinating to me is, is, have you ever heard, oh, how I love Jesus, that, that hymn? Oh, how I love Jesus. You know that one? Yeah. Because he first loved me, something like that. Yeah. Philip Bliss is the one who wrote it. And, and as, typically in the nine o'clock service, we have folks singing hymns in the uh, unit nine. And, and I love hearing the hymns as I come out of the office to come to the service. Philip Bliss wrote this, and he, he, he grieved over that song that he wrote. He grieved over it. He said, these words are true, yet I feel guilty for having sung so much about my poor love for Christ and so little about his endless love for me. He was dying. Philip Bliss was dying, and they came, and they went to pray over him, and they said, Lord... You know how much Philip loves you. He's your servant, how much he loves you. And he stopped them in the middle of the prayer and he said, please, don't entreat my love for Christ. Please do what what Mary and Martha did on behalf of Lazarus. Entreat Christ's love for me. 
Because as you can see here in verse 3, these women came to Jesus and they said, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. I want to stop for a minute. I don't care what you've done. And we've all got issues. And we've all been hurt and we've all hurt. I want you to know something. You have failed God as I have. We want to love him. We try to love him. And those things we want to do, we don't do. And those things we don't want to do, those we've done. Amen? Amen. But here's the good news. God has never stopped loving you. He wants to bless you. And he wants to make you a blessing. And these women come in and treat their, their brother to Jesus by saying, the one whom you love, Lord. Lord, we, we know how much you love us. This is, this is simple for you. We've seen what you've done in our life. You took me from the trash heap of, of, of prostitution and you've transformed me, Mary would say. And Martha would say, you've brought more joy to my life apart from all the things that I tried to stay busy and running ahead of the reaper and yet you've blessed me. And our brother Lazarus, you've, you love him so much. God, he's dying. Would you, would you do something? And in the midst of this, when they entreat Jesus, they said, Lord, he whom you love is sick. Jesus heard that. It says in verse 4, he heard that and he said, this sickness, ladies, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You can imagine their hearts soaring. He's not going to die. It's not unto death, but for the glory of God that God may be glorified through it. And they run back. They run back to Bethany. He's not going to die. And and, and he was near death by the time they got to him. They get back. He's not going to die. God said, the Lord said, and by the time they get there, he's dead. He's dead. Lord, circumstances would dictate that your word is not true. Circumstances would dictate that your word is not true. You said that this would not be a sickness unto death. And their minds are swirling and they're thinking, you could have done something. We saw you heal the blind man. We saw the lame man walk. We've seen you feed thousands. We've been with you from day one. You've rested in our home. You love our brother. What you did for me and my sister, God, why couldn't you heal him? You said he wouldn't die. And just to make matters worse, it says... Verse 5, John emphasizes, he says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loves all three of them. In case you were wondering, he loves them. He loves them. And this is how much he loves them. Verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Two more days. You look at that and you think, gosh, Lord, that's awful. God's love sometimes waits. We don't understand it. But what is God going to do here? He wants to bless him and make him a blessing. And and I, I bring you back because Lazarus is Eleazar, which means God is my help. Well, so we come back to Abraham, who God said, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. Let's see how he did that with Abraham's life. 
Genesis 22, we find ourselves in Abraham's life. And, and at this point, Abraham is an old man. And God promised him that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea. And his wife is old and he's old and they have no kids. And so uh, Sarah says, well, why don't you sleep with Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid, have a child by her? God never said to do that. But Abraham's like, sure. And he does. And it's a problem. And it's Ishmael. And that wasn't, God didn't even recognize him as the child. He said, no, I said that the child would come from Sarah. She's too old. Even though the circumstances wouldn't dictate it, God's word is still true. A resurrection comes when it appears that there's no more life. But God is the victor over death. And so when everyone had given up hope and, and they thought that, where is God's help? It's only when God receives the glory and man doesn't, that's when God begins to work. And so when there wasn't a gynecologist on the planet that would say that Sarah could have a baby, that's when he says, okay, now, Sarah, you will be pregnant. And she laughs. And when Isaac is born, his name means laughter. And you can imagine Abraham and Sarah going, this is ridiculous. I mean, you're like 90. You had a baby. This is crazy. I can't even fathom having a baby at 50. I look at uh, Mike Balikian, and uh, how old were you when? Don't ask. And it's a miracle baby, too. I won't go through it, but... uh... And, 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 the, and the, the most intense child they save for last. Bless you, man. Bless you. And, and so here, Sarah and, and Abraham, they, they have Isaac. And God says, through Isaac will be all the blessings, all the blessings, descendants, and you will be a blessing. And this is what God does with that blessing. Here's how he says, I'm going to make that blessing. Ready? Genesis 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, he says, here I am, Lord. He said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Laughter. Whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took the, his two, two of his young men with him. Isaac, his son, split the wood for the burnt offering, arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes, saw the place afar off. And when Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I are going to go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. The word worship means slaughter place. We're going to go to the altar, but we're both going to come back. I don't know how I'm supposed to kill my son, but we're both going to come back. I believe in a resurrection. Job believed in a resurrection. I don't know how God's going to do it, but it's, he's going to get the glory and I'm going to do what he tells me to do. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, um, we're walking. I've got the sacrifice stuff for the offering. He says, uh, he says yes, I'm, I'm hearing you, son. I'm here. What, what, what is it you want to ask me? He says, well, look, we've got the fire, dad. We've got the wood, uh, but where's the lamb? <laughs> where's the lamb for the fire? The thing? Where, where is it? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Well, Isaac's looking around going, I don't see a lamb. And then they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac. And he's going, Dad, what are you doing? He's tying his hands up, tying his feet. Dad, what are you doing? Dad, what are you doing? And he's binding him, and he's laying him on the altar, and he's putting the wood in there. He's going, Dad, what are you doing? And Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. You can imagine Isaac going, what? What is this? And right at that moment when he's ready to Slay his son, the angel of the Lord, a Christophany, appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, 
a voice from heaven says, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and the sand on which the seashores and your descendants shall possess to the gates of their enemies. And listen to this, almost finished. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You've obeyed my word, even though circumstances would dictate otherwise. You've obeyed my word. Now, the reason why I share that is because we struggle with trial. And God can only make you a blessing when you go through the trial. There's the, the way that F.B. Meyer put it. He says, our greatest comfort in life or in death is not that we love God, but that he loves us. Any trial a believer faces can ultimately bring glory to God because God can bring good out of any situation, even a bad situation. When trouble comes, do you grumble, complain, or blame God? Or do you see your problems as opportunities to honor him and bless others? F.B. Meyer writes, he says, the child of God is often called to suffer because there's nothing that will convince onlookers of the reality and power of true religion as suffering will do when it is born with Christian fortitude. Notice that the important thing is how we respond to suffering. He says, have you ever heard the legend of the Mijonet? The Mijonet is speaking to the gravel walkway. The Mijonet is a little flower. It's a plant that has greenish yellow spikes of perfumed flowers. And this, this plant with the perfumed flowers is speaking to the gravel path. And, and the gravel path says, how fragrant you are this morning, Mijonet. And the gravel walk speaks to the flower and says, how fragrant you are this morning, Mijonet. And the Mijonet says, yes, yes, I, I am fragrant. I have recently been trodden upon and bruised and has brought forth my sweetness and fragrance. But said the gravel walk, I am trodden every day and I only grow harder. And this is what F.B. Meyer says. He says, the life lesson is obvious. Some who suffer send forth a sweetness that blesses all who come in contact with them, while others become hard and bitter under adverse circumstances. How do you respond to suffering? Because God's making us a blessing. He's blessing us and making us a blessing. God can choose what we go through. Now, listen, God can choose what we go through. And some of you are saying, you have no idea what I'm going through. I probably don't. But in the same regard, things are relative. You have no idea what I'm going through. You go, no, 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 that doesn't work. You have no idea what I'm, okay, I'll surrender that. But I got news for you. I don't care how tough it is. You don't know what Christ went through. And the Bible says he is a fragrance and he is a blessing. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, a blessing. God may choose what we go through, but we choose how we go through it. We can be the path that gets harder or the flower of fragrance and sweetness. 
He leaves this poem. He says, the sweetest fragrance surely flows from those who feel life's pain, yet trust themselves to God's great love, and in that love remain. I, um, I was thinking about this idea of blessing comes through buffeting. God makes you a blessing. I was thinking about Isaac, and I was thinking about Abraham, and I was thinking about this passage in, in, in John 11, because it says later, as we go deeper into the passage, that Jesus begins to weep. His heart breaks. Martha comes to him. Mary comes to him. Had you, not, had you just been here, he would have lived. He stinketh. He's been dead four days. You said he'd live. You said that this was not unto death. Where have you been? I know about the resurrection. I know about all your heavenly talk, but where have you been? Our brother died. You said it wouldn't be unto death. And Jesus weeps because he sees her heartbroken. They don't understand. They don't get it. He's got all of his disciples with him, and they're going back into the town where there's a hit on Jesus, and they're wondering what they're doing there. Why did we come back for a dead man? Everybody's confused, but not Jesus. Because he has a heavenly perspective. He sees things that no one else can see. Abraham had no idea what God was doing. He just knew that that knife would go through his son and somehow God better figure this out. Now, I I can't fathom that. I can come close with one real simple story. It's the best I I can muster. Molly, my oldest, was three or four years old. And, and she was with a babysitter and they're playing in a, in a carriage, two-seated carriage, Molly and Kelly. Kelly got out of the carriage. Molly was looking through the back window of this dual stroller. And when Kelly got out, the stroller went, Whoosh! and Molly whacked her head on the ground. Boom. And when she got up, she had a cut. And the babysitter was new at what she was doing and blood's coming down and Molly's crying. And, you know, they're, and the babysitter looks at that and she says, oh, Molly, that's probably going to need stitches. And Molly, at three or four years of age, just, what is stitches? Oh, she tries to explain. She says, it's where they take a needle (laughs) and thread, and they sew up your head. And, and, you know, we get the call, and we come home, and and Molly, the minute I walk, Daddy, am I going to get stitches? Daddy, am I going to get stitches? I'm like... What? How do you know what stitches are? I told her that the needle... Oh, great. Thank you. Here's your tip. You know? <laughs> and, and she wouldn't stop telling me, Daddy, am I going to get stitches? Daddy, am I going to get stitches? She's working herself into a panic. She's, she's hyperventilating. And we had to drive to the emergency room, and she's asking me the whole way in the car ride. And it didn't help when we got to the emergency room that we had to sit there for four hours. And for four hours, she's imagining needle and thread. She's asking me to explain it over and over and over again. She just, just, by the time it's, it's made it into her mind, it's this massive needle going into her skull and coming through the other side and sewing her body up. And, and, and finally, they call us in, and, and we get there, and it was our luck to have Dr. Kevorky. And he walks in. He sees Molly, and he goes, well, that's going to need some stitches. And she just flipped. She flipped. And she's shaking. And they, they put her in this papoose where they have to strap her down with the Velcro. And because it was on her head, they couldn't put the Velcro strap where that was. So he goes, hey, Dad, you're going to have to hold your daughter's head while we apply some stitches. So I have her head. And she's screaming. She's screaming. And I'm holding her head. And, and, and she's screaming. 
My hands are shaking and she's fighting me. And, and then she, she, she tries to compose herself as best as a little three or four year old can. She tries to compose herself. She, daddy, 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 look at me, daddy. Daddy, look at me. I look down at her. She says, daddy, daddy, how can you let them do this to me? And I didn't let go of her head. And I sewed her up. You can't even tell today. She's beautiful. You doubt it, just ask Micah. <laughs> She's pretty like her mama. No cut, no scar. I knew that she would be a blessing. And I was blessing her by holding her. She couldn't comprehend it. She couldn't grasp it. She had no clue. You're in the midst of a trial that you, you only have a temporal perspective on. And God is using this to bless you and make you a blessing. In a fallen world where the Apostle Paul would say, I don't know what's better, to remain with you or to go and be with the Lord. But as I'm here, I'm here to serve. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. I don't count my life dear to myself. Whatever happens to me, happens to me for your benefit so that you would be blessed to know a Savior, so that you would be delivered from death unto life. That's why we are here. Not to avoid pain, but to see the power of it. And to know the cross and Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I leave you with this last thought. This trial was permitted to give faith to others. They were all watching it. And momentarily, and we'll see this in the coming weeks, when Lazarus comes out and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Had he not said Lazarus' name, every dead man would have arisen. And he came out with the mummy claw song. And they, they, what in the world? And, And it spread like wildfire. This man raises the dead. And the secret of that blessing was obedience. God wants us to trust him totally by giving him the complete reins of our life in the midst of the pain. And you have no idea and you're wondering why he's doing it. And he won't let go. He's holding you tight and you're screaming. And he loves you. But I got news for you. And the next week when we see the chapter and you see Jesus weeping, if you think for a minute I wasn't crying when my daughter was screaming, you're wrong. You know why I cried? Because I love her. And God weeps. He hates to see you hurt. When you don't understand and he's trying to give you a heavenly perspective. And you don't understand what daddy's doing. The last thought I leave you with is Lazarus. We began with it, we'll end with it. Lazarus means Eleazar in Hebrew, which means God is my help. You know what the Lord was doing in John 11? It says here, I'm going to wait two more days. And then he looks at the guys and he says, he's dead. Eleazar means God is my help. I imagine you have all kinds of ideas of what you think you need from God and how he's supposed to operate according to your mandate and what you think is best for you, but you have no clue. 
And neither do I. Just like Molly had no clue, neither do you. You don't know. And I know that's hard to fathom. But if you're going to see the blessings of eternity, you're going to have to be able to witness it through the pain of a fallen world. And here's the secret. The Lord waits until your Eliezer dies. He waits until your Lazarus dies until he reveals his own. You have a whole laundry list of what you want God to do for you. And God says, it's not about what I'm going to do for you. It's what I'm going to do through you. You're already blessed to have me. And now you're going to be used so that others may have me as well. And so whatever you think needs to be done, daddy, daddy, look at me. Daddy. How can you let them do this to me? Because I love you. And I don't know what you think you know more than God knows. But he's got it under control. And when he lets your Eliezer die, then he shows you his. He's made everything beautiful in his time. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He's put eternity in their hearts. And no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. You have no idea. His ways are not your ways. Isaiah 40, I'm just going to read it, and this is what we close with. It begins where God forgives Israel for all of their sins. And they had committed atrocities and sins, and the Lord redeemed them and forgave them. But this is what he says to them in regards to making them a blessing. Verse 10, I'll begin there. Behold, the Lord shall come with a strong hand and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work is before him. This is his strong hand holding you steady. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead them who are his young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and measured the heaven with the span and calculated the dust of the earth and measure, weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? You want to question God? Do you really know who you're talking about here? Do you really know better than the Lord does? He's waiting for your Eliezer to die. He knows what you need. He fashioned you. He made you. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or has his counselors ever taught him anything? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket. You're whining about the government. You're wh- Do you realize what that looks like to God? It is a gnat on the butt of an elephant. Behold, the nations are a drop in the bucket and counted as small as dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn nor its be sufficient for a burnt offering because it was laden with trees and animals. All nations before him are as nothing and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? You who knows best. The workman molds an image, the goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever's too impoverished for such contributions chooses a tree, makes an idol out of wood. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? You do not understand the foundations of the earth. 
It is God who sits above the circle of the earth and declared it a sphere long before the world knew that. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. And he brings the princes to nothing and he makes the judges of the earth useless. Oh, you think you ruled? You black robe wearing whatever? You have no idea. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root on the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. Done. To whom then will you liken me or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by numbers. He calls them all by name, these angels. And by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God. God hasn't forgotten you. And then finally, Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, never faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles and they shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. That is our God. He's got a good hold on you. He knows what he's doing. And though the circumstances would dictate otherwise, do not doubt his word. That's called faith. And you become, you are blessed by his word and you become a blessing for others. And they look at your suffering and they see in you the fragrance of Christ being diffused. To some, it's the aroma of death and to others, it's the aroma of life. And they say, how can you have hope in the midst of this misery? And you say, because I serve a resurrected living God. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you that the trial itself tends to strengthen our faith. The remarkable deliverance which Christ gave to them would certainly minister to the growth of their confidence in him. And so God, we want to know Jesus Christ and him crucified and the power of his resurrection. We want to be blessed by that and bless others with it. God, thank you that in a fallen world of suffering, and I was thinking through this whole message in regards to brothers and sisters who are just going through the worst. I, can, I can't even fathom. I was thinking of Katie and so many others, Todd. And, and yet, Lord, you work all things together for good. All I can tell you is their lives have blessed me and blessed those who've witnessed the way in which they've endured these things. So, Lord, we give you praise. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.